0: This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. Deep Color is supported by the New York Studio School, where drawing, painting, and sculpture are studied in depth debated energetically and created with passion. The New York Studio School offers a range of programs including internationally recognized drawing marathons, evening and Saturday classes, and a distinguished lecture series that is free and open to the public. Applications for full-time study in the two-year MFA and three-year certificate program are due February 15th. Apply online today at nyss.org. This episode profiles Monona Russell. Monona is a chemist, an artist that makes ceramic-based work, a musician, and a cabaret singer. Since 1977, she has also worked as an industrial hygienist that specializes in visual and performing arts health hazards. She is the founder of Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety, or ACTS, which is a nonprofit dedicated to providing health and safety services to the arts. She lectures and consults around the world and has provided industrial hygiene specs for ventilation and safety equipment for more than 80 buildings, including the University of Wyoming's Visual Arts Facility, which won an award for environmental design. Monona has been a regular guest on NPR and has written nine books, including The Artist's Complete Health and Safety Guide. We recorded this conversation at my studio in the Bed-Stuy section of Brooklyn.
1: You've got to be kidding! <laughs> it um, was over for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: one of the 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 great things in reading and learning about you was all, all the different hats you wear. Um, and I, I feel like it's important to quickly go down the little list of things that you use in your in your in your written biography. You, you're listed as a chemist, uh, a sculptor, uh, a teacher. I, I'll throw in a writer because you've written how many books have you written? Nine. Nine books uh you're a performer more recently you've been singing um
1: I was a performer at age three I was a union card that's, right. that's right. performer you' a child three. so you've been I've you've been, been performing in. a long time yeah
0: um I guess I say recently because you've been you you performed recently
1: well i minored in music okay so I did all the performing right. courses as well in in the university and i and I toured with their touring groups and i made i made good money all the time that I was in school singing. amazing
0: amazing yeah um, and then for, what, the last 40-plus years, you've been a professional industrial hygienist. Yeah,
1: I started, uh, I started working as an industrial hygienist in 1977. Mm-hmm. Became a full member of the American Industrial Hygiene Association by 84, and so that's been my, my profession. Right,
0: right. I think it's important to describe for the listeners out there um, what an industrial hygienist is, because not everyone knows what that is.
1: Well, it sounds like we clean teeth in a factory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it does because we, we're, yeah. we're, we're hygienists. You think hygienist. dentists. You think of dentists? Yeah.
1: But it, what we are is we're people who deal with workplace hazards. Okay. Now, of course, there's so many workplace hazards that mm-hmm. you specialize. Nobody can do all workplace hazards in all capacities. So, um, because I have a degree in chemistry and worked seven years as a research chemist, I stress the chemical hazards in the workplace. Right. But I'm also very good in terms of de- ventilation design and precautions and um, so on. And I specialize in art and theater, which is very rare for industrial hygienists. Most right. of them will, specif- will specialize in, let's say, mining right. or in factory work or uh, one of the other major right. something that we industries. more
0: commonly associate with in- industry. Right. We don't always think of art as industry. Of yeah. course it is. But it is, sure. it is, absolutely. Sure. And
1: entertainment as well. Entertainment mm-hmm. is, in fact, the second largest industry in new york that makes sense absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so in terms of money in terms of uh, production mm-hmm. uh theater and 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 uh, film mm-hmm. are, are
0: huge yeah it's a huge economy around that stuff. right
1: and of course they deal with all kinds of chemicals you've mm-hmm. got to paint the scenery yeah you have to have special effects and pyrotechnics mm-hmm. you have to have costumes and dye the the cloth and it's just it's just it's, it's an industry right
0: so when when uh uh a university or some sort of institution is is um, building out a new workspace for artists to, to learn in and make stuff in. With any luck, they contact you as a consultant of, uh, of sorts to, to guide them on the best way to set up their shop, no? Yes. Is that I've
1: done over 80 buildings. Right. Now, uh, only three of them have awards. So that should tell you that very often I will write a really good report on exactly what they need. Right. And then, of course, it goes to an architect who has never done this before and has no knowledge of what right. really is required. And they hand it to the wrong kind of engineer. They hand it to heating and air conditioning engineers instead of industrial engineers. Right. And so as a result, many of the buildings that I have had uh, a lot of input on actually don't work well.
0: Right, and is that just a matter of of, of, of developers trying, or the building or the university trying to save money,
1: Save money and also, uh, I'm I'm sorry to say, there's a huge ignorance Mm -hmm. in both architecture and in engineering on the issues around industrial ventilation and toxic substances. Mm -hmm. Um, They just don't seem to realize that you can't just say, well, that's a classroom, so we give it so many um, uh, CFM per person, so many cubic feet per minute of sure. fresh air per person right. no, 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 what are they doing in that classroom right because if they 've got three d printers, they need local exhaust if they 're painting in that classroom, oh my gosh, they need a dilution ventilation right. system right so it it, it is uh, there are some real big issues with with learning that has to happen in both architecture and in in engineering right. and in on university right. campuses, one right. of the most dangerous. Departments, right? Is the is the architectural department really? Because those, you know, well, you you are a sculptor, and so you make it. You, you people, make. I would think, it'd be like glass blowing or something yeah, well, like that. No, they, you you make a, a sculpture, a defined s- s- thing. The, the architects are creating in the same gallery an environment where they're using huge amounts. Of um, composite wood things, or, sure. or, or, or or what's really bad, dye bond that's got aluminum in it, hmm. and that dust is is very very potentially sure. flammable. So they make they make huge environments, right. and some of them very dangerous, and some of them out of very dangerous materials. Right. So they learn wrong right mm-hmm. from the start.
0: Right. So that's that's like the large scale of what you do as an industrial hygienist. You've also um, one of one of. Uh, a book that I think is required reading is The Artist's Complete Health and Safety Guide, which everyone should, that is a practicing artist in whatever discipline should, should own a copy of. But yeah, and within and this and book, I, we I, talk about, you talk about materials and how they affect you, the, the responsible and safe way to use them. Um, it's a it's a guide and a handbook. Right and I'm going to talk and against, a Bible I'm search. going to
1: talk against my own book right now. Uh, okay go for because it. because there's a fourth edition coming out and it was supposed to come out in December. It's going to be huge. So it's going to set you back a little bit, but you really need to get this book because it's got everything in it. I mean <laughs> it, it and not only that, it, it has my contact information because right. I don't just tell people they need to, you know, clean up their act and, and use better materials and take precautions. Mm-hmm. I make myself available if you have questions about how to do that or right. where to get the stuff that you need right. or whatever.
0: Right. So I think it's it's great because you know, the, the, there's the student at the school or the teacher or the administration of the school that should be conscientious and making responsible choices about how their buildings are set up and you help them with that. But you also think about the person in the home studio or at, or at their their artist studio, that's a much smaller scale, and how they're using materials in there,
1: and that's actually more dangerous, and that's more dangerous, and more dangerous for the simple reason that there may be children there, and right. there may be people who are elderly or people who have high risk um, issues in their lives, right. And that's twenty four seven, right? And twenty four seven exposure can be exceedingly low and still be right. a significant exposure,
0: right? Maybe it's a this is a good spot to get give a a, a quick history lesson on when humans first realized that we were poisoning ourselves with art materials?
1: I think we've always known. (laughs) I think we've known since the Neanderthals. Uh, Most of the uh, texts will refer to 1713 when Ramazzini wrote a textbook on... uh, the professions, and he covered artists and lead poisoning and pigment grinders and potters, and he did a pretty good job. I mean, he really describes silicosis. He doesn't call it that because the name hadn't come up yet. But, you know, you can read about these various groups and see the the diseases very clearly defined.
0: And silicosis is a respiratory disease, Right, because clay is
1: is, is full of free silica as well. Uh, But 2,000 years prior to that, there was a scribe, who wanted to make sure his son went into being another scribe rather than take up one of the crafts or professions? Huh. So he described in detail all the problems of weavers, and um, potters, uh-huh. and um, metal smiths, and uh, um, people doing foundry. I yeah. mean, he, you know, so and how they're all getting sick, and how they're all getting sick, and yeah. how they all smell bad, and they're <laughs> <laughs> breathing kiln fumes. Yeah. And, so I mean, I think you know. Common sense ought to have told us that you know the kiln is at three thousand degrees. You know maybe crap is coming off of that. Yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> well maybe this is a good po- good good spot to talk about why artists tend to look the other, other way with a, when when it comes to their own physical safety with the materials they're using. Is it artists concerned about the the like sort of instinctual primal response to making or the magic that they just look the other way? I mean, what is it from your point of view?
1: From my point of view, it, it is our whole education system has just gone completely kafouy. Mm-hmm. We have no sense of reality. We ha- we don't want reality. We want dreams. Right and we uh, we 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 treat people like they're little fragile things so we don't frighten them we don't let them fail we don't let the, we give them a star for showing up yeah. and we we pat them on the back for every little wee thing so you can't possibly then hand them a brush and say well you know the stuff on the end of this can <laughs> kill you, <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> they, we don't want to do that we yeah. we don't we don't want to put the reality into what we're doing right. at all and as a result, we have we people. put
0: we put a premium on the mythology, maybe on the and it's yeah. totally mythology. Yeah,
1: and and so we have all of this this these people being graduated who don't understand their materials, don't understand what they're doing, and then as you point out, they may work at home right with their children gathered around their feet yeah, while yeah, they yeah. work with the t- toxic substances. So it's it's really a, a bad situation.
0: Right. I mean, I think I mentioned when when we were chit-chatting before we we uh, turned on the mics that I I received no education, and I went to a, a nationally renowned art school, um, and I, I had zero uh, uh, information about the health and safety hazards while well, in my four years there.
1: Yeah, they're supposed to do that. Yeah. Your, teacher, your teachers—they're legally required. They're legally required yeah. to do this in for every one of their teachers um, uh, almost annually. Uh, to train them in hazard communication. And they're, they're not only supposed to have access to all the safety data sheets and, la- and proper labels, they're mm-hmm. supposed to actually be able to read them, right. which means that they need to understand concepts like threshold limit values and evaporation rates and um, what t- uh, chronic and acute toxicity really mean and all of the things. But, th- but no, the schools are not doing it. And that's very often the teachers' fault themselves. One of the problems I have with a particular union is they say, "Well, our teachers don't want to sit down for that training." Right. You want the union is complicit in breaking the law. Right. So it it is a real problem. Nobody wants reality. Nobody wants to I was going to say it seems
0: like a like a denial of reality. Total denial of reality.
1: And not only that, I find that reality really interesting. Yeah. It really yeah.
0: is. I think it is sort of a human impulse to look the other direction when mortality is sort of in your face That's in a way. Right. So I wonder if you're if we're running up against that in some capacity in these Absolutely. conversations. Yeah. Well, on that front, I mean, you've been doing this for 40 some odd years, consulting, um, t- uh, educating people about health and safety hazards in the arts. And, and
1: Actually, my first lectures in it yeah. were as a graduate student in oh, 64, 62, 62. Even longer, even Yeah, so it's even longer. But in those early days, I was consulting with no business being a consultant. But the fact was nobody was doing it. Right. And so people would come to me because who else were they going to come to? Right. And How'd and they find you? You know, I have never had to advertise. They track me down. They're looking for someone who can answer the question. Word of mouth somehow. And so it all just all happened. When I set up uh, Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety as a nonprofit, from that moment on, I never had to apply for a grant. I never had to uh, advertise, never had to outreach. It just all just comes over the transom. Right. That's
0: the nonprofit you started. We should mention that. Yes. The acronym is ACTS, and it's Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety. Right. And that's your company that is a nonprofit that that does this work. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, like, in in all the years that you've been doing this, what – I mean, how have you found – uh, the, the right angle to be the most persuasive in, in, in persuading people to take this seriously. Oh, thing. I
1: haven't found it yet. You haven't found it. <laughs> if I had found it, I think we'd have a lot different world. No, <laughs> I work hard to try to get people to do the right thing. But let's mm-hmm. face it, uh, I, I fail. And I fail an awful lot of time. I, I, I mean, we, we may win a lawsuit because I do expert witness. We right. may win a particular situation with an injured student. We may win this. But the total battle is being lost right. because people and, and, and the administrators and the people who make the money decisions don't want this issue. You know, you cannot apply for a grant at a university to fix an OSHA violation. Is that right? You know, yes, because you when you sign off on a grant proposal, you are already saying you meet all the OSHA regulations. Right, right. So you can't do that. It's illegal. You're supposed to already have all that in place. Right. So as soon as I tell a school, well, here's an OSHA violation, here's an inadequacy, there's a fire hazard, here's another problem, um, th- there's no money to fix that. Right. Um, so so we we have a a, a built-in denial system. And as soon as possible, you know, as soon as I can you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out, Monona. (laughs) (laughs) Because they just want to get back to business as normal and hope again nobody gets hurt on their watch. Yeah, it
0: sounds like a kind of a wicked collision of law or liability um, economics budgets and just human sort of ignorance around stuff. And
1: that's why it's so easy to do expert witness against a university. Because they're just Sitting ducks. Mm -hmm. They do not follow the regulations.
0: It's pretty nuts. And I mean, it really is. comes down to, um, I I think of this uh, comedian Chris Rock who does a bit about uh, horoscopes. And he's like, Gemini, you're going (laughs) to die. Scorpio, you're going to die. And really what what we're talking about is is like how quickly these materials and these environments are going to kill us. Um, and, and, worse, and if, and like,
1: and, or, or disable us in or ways, disable or, us. Or, or may, or, or makes maybe your customer right. or your student hurt, right. you know, wh- why, wouldn't you want to know how to do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you not hurt somebody. Right.
0: And, and I think, I know if, if you, if we want to be conscientious about this stuff, uh, we owe it to ourselves to figure out ways to slow down the process at least and to be safe. And, and, and I, and I, sort of presume or you know that's sort of the work that you do it's like let's slow this down
1: let's and uh, let's put some cerebral cortex yeah (laughs) use the brain no not all (laughs) (laughs) kishkis well well said
0: um maybe we can pivot into talking about artist materials and one of the things that you said as soon as you walked into my studio you looked at the floor and you want to you want to share what you said when you saw my floor
1: yes because any painter spills on the floor Mm -hmm. Now, I think we all recognize that when you walk on any floor that is painted, mm-hmm. you are slowly wearing it down, and eventually you have to repaint the floor. Right, and
0: you're kicking up dust. And,
1: and, and you're creating dust yeah. as you wear the paint down. So none of your studios can pass a wipe sample test for, let's say, lead, mm-hmm. cadmium, uh, chromium right. any of those kinds of yeah. metals and i quickly that,
0: said but these are acrylic paints you said doesn't matter doesn't matter the yeah. same pigment same pigment it's the pigment in the paint it's the pigment in the paint yeah.
1: you, you you don't have the solvent issue in other words you don't get to get high on on on, on smelling the fumes right but <laughs> the, the the same problem with the pigments are there because and, and they're always going to be there right. because uh, paints are uh, artist materials are exempt from the consumer paint lead laws and they have to be because many of the um, lead and Chrome and cadmium pigments are the ones that will last 300 years without fading or right, changing right. On, on the on the Yeah, canvas. the manufacturers
0: are looking for longevity. Yes. And that longevity is the thing that poison us, or the stuff that makes it last long is the stuff right. that tends to poison us, yeah? Yeah, yeah?
1: yeah, yeah. Now, there are some very toxic organic pigments, too. Those are based on carbon, and they may be based on things we know cause cancer, like benzodine or aniline, right. Um uh, Anthroquinone, so on but um well th- there's none of them that are there's a minimum daily requirement right. for uh, right right but but you if you work in a painting studio you are getting a minimum daily amount, sure because that dust is there
0: right so what are what are what are some precautions that i will use we'll use my studio right now as the example, what could I be doing in here? Uh, more responsibly to keep myself safe.
1: Well, we are violating an OSHA regulation here.
0: You having a cup of coffee.
1: Of course. This is a, a studio exposed to toxic substance dust. Oh, man. Studios are supposed to be for making art. Right. Not consuming food. You do not consume food ever yeah. in your studio. So the first thing you would do when you're when I'm planning a building mm-hmm. is we set up nice little eating areas and little alcoves and places where the ventilation is separate. And people can go and have a cup of coffee and eat a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Because if you make that too far away, if you if they have to get out of the building and go across campus into a cafeteria, it isn't happening. They're going to eat in that studio. Right. But it's a time thing, but there is a. Yeah. It is an OSHA violation to eat in any uh, area. So don't you're eat in studio. To. No, they should never bring food in. No, not, and you need a separate, separate location right. for that. Right,
0: right. So as I mentioned, I, I use primarily acrylic paints. Um, I also draw. I use a lot of graphite and charcoal. Are there any concerns with? how I might be using graphite and charcoal? Well, or ordinarily those... I would say no, okay.
1: because graphite is, is a toxic substance, uh, but it has what, an air quality standard, uh, OSHA standard of 2 milligrams per cubic meter, which is pretty reasonably easy to meet. Right. However, I have seen people who have graphite in chunks, and 30-foot canvases with a tooth on them, and they come out looking like miners. Right, right, now, right. Now, those people sure. are definitely hurting yeah. themselves.
0: Yeah, so that, that's, again, is probably going to be a respiratory issue. You're you are inhaling right. the fine dust of charcoal or graphite, and you yeah. get what, like coal miner's lung or something like that.
1: It is very similar, graf- mm-hmm. graphite. Charcoal is... Uh, Charcoal's a kind of mixed bag. The charcoal itself is not really very toxic, and most of it is in a particle size that you can cough up. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get all the way down into the little tiny alveoli or lung sacs. Um, and, and that's why you blow your nose and you get the black snot yeah. syndrome. <laughs> sure. yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> because, very familiar with that. because you're yeah. catching it there. Uh, but unfortunately, it depends on how. The charcoal was manufactured, okay. and if it is burned in a particular way, and if it is one of the processes from uh, starting with kerosene, um, you have
0: some nasty cancer-causing substances that ride along on those particles. Jeez, Maybe this is a good spot to pivot into safety data sheets and how you discern what these products have in them, because labeling is an issue with art materials often, no?
1: Labeling is an issue, and the safety data sheets in the United States are an issue because we do a really poor job of them. Uh, One of the problems you have when you get a safety data sheet on an art material product is there is a labeling law that I had something to do with getting passed. There were a bunch of us activists that Mm -hmm. got a, a... a uh, law passed. For instance, it is illegal to sell any art material in the United States that does not have a conformance statement on it that reads conforms to ASTM D4236.
0: And that's a law on the books.
1: That's that's a no. That's a standard for labeling. Unfortunately. But the, AS2, the ASTM D4236 sends out, American Society of Testing and Materials. Oh, okay. okay. Um, it's an acronym. And it's an acronym, and, and that's a particular chronic hazard labeling standard okay. because up until that law was passed, asbestos could get a non toxic label because asbestos doesn't cause any, any damage to animals in two weeks. <laughs> oh my god, so like Grace was, period. Yeah, I that think. was the yeah. they, the tests were all two week long tests. So it, it takes longer to develop cancer. Right. So all of the materials were labeled non-toxic and, and, and that was because they weren't tested for chronic hazards. Right. Um so the the labeling law did help. We right. did they asbestos now would have to be yeah. labeled or anything that would cause a chronic hazard. Unfortunately, none of your pigments have ever had chronic testing. And yet, remember what I just said about the groups that they're in? Mm-hmm. If, even if they've never been tested, this law will say that they can be called non-toxic. Because they, in, in the absence of data, you can call it non-toxic. Right. But we know. And is this just the chemist- manufacturers
0: trying to skirt things by no grouping kidding. and things yes. like that? No yes. Yeah.
1: And being helped by... Um, a, a labeling agency that gets paid for certifying right. them as safe. Right. So when you get a safety data sheet from one of these products, it may simply refer to you to ASTMD 4236 and say a toxicologist has reviewed the formula of this uh, the the ingredients and found that there's nothing that requires labeling right. and so you're done and they aren't even going to tell you what's in there right. so we don't like those SDSs we want to actually know what's right. in the product
0: we should we should also clarify what a safety data sheet actually is because i'm betting i'm betting uh, I'm, 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 a certain percentage of my listeners won't even know what those are or where to find them so a safety data sheet is uh, a document that is often on a manufacturer's website that you can look at yes. and download and it explains it's sort of what's in it.
1: It's illegal for that manufacturer since 1987 not to have a document on how to handle this safely and what's in it and so on and so forth for their own workers and of course to make it available to any other workers that would be using it so if you're in a school you pay your teachers your teachers then have to have these documents available right now they were originally called material safety data sheets and they were so rotten hmm. and so uninformative mm-hmm. that the rest of the world literally got together and forced us to change our labeling yeah. and our safety. The United States sheets. is late to the party for oh, this stuff. Oh my dear. Yeah. Oh my dear, yes. So the EU adopted a really good system and then 162 other countries uh, uh, adopted it as well. Mm. And the EU gave us a um, 2015 June deadline that we either had these documents or we couldn't export right and so we would have been done as a power in in the united states if we didn't change over to the new system but internally if you are a u.s company selling to a u.s customer you do not have to meet all those eu standards on your safety data sheet
0: that's just sounds evil it's
1: it is it is truly evil
0: Oh man. It and really and just real quick, let's, let's mention where, where people can find the safety data sheets. Like if I have a tube of, you know, brand X paint, do I go to their website and, and it's listed there? How, what's the best way to find the, the safety data good, sheets? The
1: good manufacturers will make them easily available on their
0: website. But it's not on the actual product, is, I guess, what the point we need to drive home. You have to, like, look for it. What
1: colleges should be doing is changing their purchase orders and having a little box that they can check that says material safety data sheet required as a condition of purchase. And then it would come in the, the packing Right. Uh, uh, with, with with the shipment. Right. And that's what should be happening. And then somebody who's knowledgeable should be collecting those and putting them in a file because they have to be available 24-7 to any teacher who is in that building legally. Mm-hmm. Anytime they want to see a data sheet on a particular substance, they should be able to go right straight to a, a file and see it, right. whether it's a hard copy file or whether it's a computer file or what.
0: Right. Can you talk about some of the long... And short-term health effects from certain um, materials that artists commonly use. I'm thinking of well, we can use we can use uh, acrylic paint. We can talk about oil paint. I know there's stuff of concern connected to ceramics.
1: You can just take the encyclopedia of medical diseases, and you can find <laughs> just about everything. Just about everything in there, uh, because you look at all, all you have. You have, you know, like 2,000 dyes. You have about 300 different pigments. When you're looking at acrylics and those kinds, that's a plastic material. Yes. There's probably 40 ingredients in there. You may think it's just acrylic, but it's, it's there's a whole bunch of... Plastic is, doesn't want to suspend in water. <laughs> so there's a lot of little chemicals in there, including some ammonia, some formaldehyde, some other stuff. It, there's a lot of chemicals in everything.
0: Right. I noticed that when I use certain paints, usually oil-based paints, that have a very strong odor, that fume that you know is not good. Let's call uh, it a vapor. It's a vapor. But one of the short-term effects is a headache um and i know even if that's
1: the hangover but that's that the came hangover. after you had the slight high
0: so yeah you're right. <laughs> but that ha- that'll even happen with my window open with a fan like i'm trying to be be smart but, about ventilation it still still happens though
1: good good ventilation is not an open window it is fresh air coming in one side of your studio you have have an and being dragged out you have to have forcibly exchange, right by a fan on right. the other side and that rate has to be set by what you do. Okay. If you are if you are, you know, milking mice, if you are doing little tiny postage stamp paintings, yes. then you don't need much ventilation. Your nose is pretty close, sure. so you still need something.
0: But the quantity of paint. But is if you're minimal.
1: making 30 foot canvases, you need a bloody wind tunnel.
0: Right, right, right. Um and what about with ceramics? What are what are some common um, things that pop up around people that use. Every soramers. metal
1: is in there somewhere. Yeah. You, and and you got also all the fluorine and chlorine compounds. and You just got everything because, you know, you. How do you
0: protect against it? That's, in in the in that, like the studio like this like if this were a ceramics studio with a kiln and I'm and I'm messing around with clay
1: okay if it, if it's an electric kiln there are really nice ventilation systems they have to exhaust to the outside but you can keep that kiln under negative pressure and you will breathe nothing from that kiln right if it's a gas kiln uh, there's some really good types where they they have ventilation hoods that do a good job you have to set them up properly and then again you know if you smell something when the kiln's firing guess what
0: Something's wrong. Yes, you're <laughs> breathing shit.
1: Yeah, you know. So I mean, grow up. Yeah. Um. And and if there's dust in the air, if you can write your name in in a, a, in in the studio, there's a problem with that because that dust was in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you are breathing it, every little particle of clay or silica that is small enough and gets into your alveoli, you carry for life. Yeah. So you know why would you do this to yourself? So we set up for glaze mixing we set up a slot hood ventilation system so that all of the air is being drawn in the other direction mm-hmm. we 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 really think you shouldn't be mixing clay in a college because that's really a messy process right. and you can you can order it and it it's much cheaper in the long run if you set up proper ventilation for clay mixing it's expensive yes and expensive to run yes <clears throat> because you're throwing a whole lot of Conditioned air out and replacing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, <clears throat> ventilation across the board is is pretty important in yeah. the artist studio. Absolutely, whether you're painting, using ceramics, um, modeling, like having. Absolutely air leave and come fresh air come in is critical
1: and that ventilation is totally dependent on what the artist is doing right the scale with of the project. what and the scale yeah. and so you cannot just say okay here's a painting studio we're setting it up now we're done right not unless you have an agreement with the teacher on what solvents you're using at what rate how many students are going to be in the room right. doing what
0: right because that that changes the numbers. Changes
1: the numbers. Yeah. Changes the ventilation yeah. rate.
0: And I imagine in your book here, you probably have a table that exp- that does some sort of math in terms of how much air you need per room or size yeah, of the room. I yeah, sh- I
1: I believe that I actually show you the formula in there. Yeah. Um, and if so you, you can
0: figure it out, how much air you, you need. You can't. I can't. No. Okay.
1: You haven't got enough to, <laughs> to do it. No, but I went to art I school. Can, I don't know math. But I can show you. For instance, one of the reasons I put that formula in is to show you that the TLV, which is the amount of uh, substance that can be in the air and be considered, say, for most healthy adults, that that's in the denominator right. of that right. equation, okay. which means the smaller that number, the more toxic the stuff is, the more ventilation you need. So I do make that very clear, but there's also other things in there, molecular weight, ventilation, I mean, uh, evaporation rate, many other things that will also influence that number.
0: It's more complicated than one might think. You need
1: a good engineer. You need somebody to set this up and explain it to you. Right, right.
0: What about um, moving to, like, uh, well, a ceramicist or, or, for instance, an oil painter, when you have the sludge that's left over from cleaning brushes, scraping paint out of the brush. You've got the spirits, the turpentine. In a studio, I mean, I don't use too many oil paints, um, but when I do, I have this waste, and I'm never quite sure how to dispose of that responsibly.
1: You just set yourself up for problems. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me my problems. Cuz now we're not talking about OSHA, and how we're talking about EPA. Oh, okay. And now those fines really mean something. So
0: I could get fined if I don't tar- take care of that. Yeah, you can. Properly. Absolutely. Well, what should I do? What's well, the, here's what's the the thing. S- what's yeah. the legal legal Yeah, you legal need to you course. probably
1: if you're going to be getting rid of waste, you need to be getting on the phone with one of the certified waste um, companies and explaining what you're using and, and there's a number them of them for in advice. York? Yes. Okay. And they should be able to even bring over the containers that you will need and 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 set up a pickup schedule and so on. And every school has to do this. Right. If you are going into a school and you are doing oil painting or acrylic painting or ceramics or anything, and you do not see an area in that room called a satellite accumulation area, where there are Certain special containers in containment, that means in a tray like so that if there's a spill, it will be contained, and directions on the wall posted as to how to put what waste in where. That school is in violation of the EPA regulations. Right.
0: And you should probably reevaluate going to that school?
1: Yeah, because you're not coming out with a degree that means anything. You're right. coming out not knowing anything either about how to protect yourself. Right.
0: And we talked about that at the beginning. I think even before we hit record is the lack of education around that stuff. And this yes. is just part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure in your many years working in this field, you've come across some some pretty memorable stories connected to <laughs> artists and art materials. Does one come to mind that, you would, that would be great to share uh, um, as we talk here?
1: You know, what I'd really like to share is a little bit depressing. But in upstate New York, there were a bunch of mines. Talc mines. Talc mines. Now, these are industrial talcs. We're not talking Johnson & Johnson here. We're talking industrial talcs. And they were contaminated with various types of asbestos. Okay, and that was actually known in the 60s. There were studies showing cases of lung cancer, mesothelioma, and among the right. miners and so on. And uh, but. There were a lot of discussions about whether or not these fibers are really fibers or whether they're cleavage fragments. There was a lot of... Di- and the company continued to sell this talc, claiming it was not asbestos, and they sold it and sold it and sold it for years and years. Um, there were plenty of people... And what like- do people use talc for? Or- it's a, a, an ingredient in both clay and glazes. Okay. Uh, it's it's also- a mineral, no? No. What is yeah, it? well, yep. yeah, okay. you know, you, anything that comes from the earth, you should be suspect. Okay. You know, worry about. Because Mother Nature was never interested in quality control. <laughs> she she didn't, didn't make that stuff for you, and she didn't intend you to dig it up uh-huh. and snort it. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, anytime you breathe anything that comes out of the earth, you probably got problems. Right. Um, so this stuff was around for years, and um, finally... I was one of the expert witnesses in the first really big trial where we got about 3.5 million for a young man who came out of school and worked as a potter for a few years and of course died of mesothelioma and um, he used this particular talc. Uh, then there was another that came from the mine in that that came upstate from New the York. Mine. Then there was another one in Kentucky um, in a tile maker and uh, she that 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 one came to about six million I think. And by then the talc the company could see that we were gonna win these every time now. And
0: it was all talc coming out of this one place in upstate New York. Uh, yeah, the series oh, wow. of mines up there. Okay. And
1: um and, and, and this talc was all over the country. I, sure. I, I never went into a ceramics department, I didn't find it. Um and um as a, and, and by two thousand and nine they closed the mine but I'm still seeing bags of it. I have actually s- talked to professors who said, well, we heard the mine was closing, so we stockpiled it. Oh, I no. mean, you know, like maybe yeah. read a little bit and yeah. figure out why they're closing What's the, the brand so we can steer clear of it? Uh, they're R.T. They're, they're Vanderbilt uh, Ceramitalc and nitel 100 talcs mostly okay. that I see. And um, they definitely can, can, can cause mesothelioma and um it it's so sad i've done i think i think I'm, i've been retained on my nineteenth case. now these are artists, these are right. craftspeople, these are home crafters these these are people that, that shouldn't be dying right. in their fifties and sixties you know and, and yeah and they're
0: just trying to make some the joy of making and and right. creating a piece of art absolutely and putting an idea into form, and they're getting sick from the stuff yeah.
1: And, and 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 you don't there's no symptoms you don't know that you've done right. this to yourself and and, and so it, it bites later um uh, it's just so wrong and it breaks my heart because um one of the teachers was a special ed teacher mm-hmm. you know and, and, and all she was trying to do was give her kids a tactile material to work with of course. And she did the sanding of the things to make them nice. So you she, know? Was, breathing so the she dust. was breathing the dust. Yeah. Oh my dear, you know it, it, it's they, these are heartbreaking. And sometimes you know the person is is dead or dying by the time the, the case is filed. Right. So I have to look at the, 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 the either either see their testimony or meet them or, or see the video that was made before That's they tough. perish. And it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And and yet you can find in my writings 30 years ago saying don't use this right you know so it, you feel kind of like helpless
0: right are manufacturers making corrections so that things like this don't happen the stuff the the clays that are coming out now, now are, are the avoiding this come out. yes okay yes yes because well, the mine closed right
1: yeah but uh yeah it's 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 a really sad situation that's tough um
0: let's talk a little bit about biography i'm curious where you grew up If you're comfortable talking about that. That's kind of hard.
1: (laughs) Did you bounce around a lot? I was born in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. But I was born into a vaudeville family. Oh, that's right. And my father was a rather well-known vaudeville magician. Um, We booked out of Chicago, the Lyman-Goss Agency in Chicago. So we were on tour. By by age three, I had a union card already. So I was a a, a union performer all my early days.
0: what, What sorts of things were you performing?
1: Well, of course, the first thing I was was a substitute for the rabbit. Uh, in a costume <laughs> well no at, at age at age one i was a prop <laughs> because you know why why produce a rabbit when you can re- produce an infant yeah yeah you yeah. know what i mean yeah so and and then I, I was a magician assistant i was a stooge i did acrobatics i sang i did record pantomime you know when you were in vaudeville you did whatever was needed yeah you're kind of a jack of all trades in yes a way. yeah yeah so so we 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 worked we traveled Um, And and then occasionally, you know, the courts would make sure I was in school, (laughs) which didn't work out too well. I mean, I came in wearing rather conservative makeup, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I didn't fit at all. I mean, I had nothing but problems with with dealing with the schools. Um,
0: Yet you went on to get all these degrees.
1: Well... My, I was thrown out of my house at 17. We, we didn't like each other. My parents were wonderful on stage, off stage not so much. Okay. And um, by that time we had really grown tired of each other totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, but it wasn't like throwing the ordinary 17-year-old out on their butt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I was perfectly capable of renting a place and making my own way. Right. And I You probably
0: had to grow up pretty quickly. Uh, I was the, already that, pretty grown up in the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Well, the
1: first time that the police brought me back home, I was six. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it wasn't. It was not. Anybody else would have said, "Oh, what a terrible childhood!" And I say, "Well, yeah, yeah, it really was." But it taught me how to survive. Right. And and uh, I'm very very good at that. Um, you probably
0: had more adventures than you can keep in one basket oh yeah, yeah yeah
1: and and the first thing i did was because i they had me in a university high school uh that was on campus at the university of wisconsin because there were practice teachers there and so if we had to go on tour we could catch up quickly and um so I knew what the university was. In fact, I was doing some minor work for a professor uh, at that time. I was reading abstracts, I believe, in the hmm. zoology department. And um, so I just forged my parents' signature on a, an, an application right. and put my damn self through. There you go. And, uh, That's got impressive. Three, yeah, got three degrees. And I had enough money when I finished school to write a check for the farm I bought.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. So it sounds like were the performing arts, your introduction to the world of creative thinking and, and arts, yeah? Absolutely. Um, but I also know that you got into ceramics and sculpture and glassblowing. Was that later? Is well, that, was yeah, that because, in, uh, you see, I had,
1: I had somebody who was going to back me for medical school. And um, I, I, I had no understanding of discrimination against women because as long as men can't sing soprano, I hadn't seen it. Hmm. I didn't understand it. So I got all A's in pre-med and expected to be welcomed into medical school. Right. <laughs> oh, what a shock. And we got what a, year was this? Uh nineteen fifty eight, I'm thinking. Late fifties. Okay. Yeah, late fifties. Because we, we came in to orientation for medical school. And we were given this lecture that said, you know, the courts have decreed we have to take 10% women. We don't want any of you here, and we're going to flunk half of you out after the first semester anyway. And I gave them the sign of the finger and left. Yeah, good. So I figured I could graduate in zoology, physics, chemistry, or math. So I majored in chemistry, minored in math.
0: How did you get interested in chemistry? I mean well, as I a vaudeville performer.
1: I wasn't, but you know, I was I was not too shabby in the brains. Right. And and if you needed it to be a, a doctor, hey, I just learned it. Right. You know, right, you right, just right. just do it. Right.
0: And um So medicine led you to chemistry. Or yeah, your interest in medicine yeah. led you to chemistry. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, and so, um, then I thought I'll be a chemist. That sounds like a, a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was politely told that you know you could do the research for the boys, um, and and we'll pay you well to be a research assistant. But you know you're not going into the Ph.D. program. Right. So uh, so I was making all this money in the chemistry department. And I used it to put myself through art school. I thought there'd be no discrimination over there. That was the worst discrimination of all Oh, my goodness. It beat all the others Uh, hollow. That's heartbreaking. every one of my professors would have been in jail today. I mean, you have never, you know, I didn't, you know, I knew the casting couch when I saw it. So, I mean, I I didn't fall for any of that. But I really still to this day worry about my classmates, my women classmates, because there's nothing other than abuse for the, description right. of what was going on there that's awful it was terrible and we learned that uh, there are no significant women painters because our brains are defective and this is don't... this
0: is the line you that they were giving you
1: oh but, yeah oh, i wasn't even allowed to go into studio art for a couple of years because they said you can teach art but you're a woman you can't be an artist God. you damn have no all. idea you have no idea what it was i, I know Gross. And, Gross. and i will just say Gross. damn them all damn them all Gross.
0: um what was there a per, uh, a name for your family's troupe Was there a performance name? My father's
1: name? N- well, <laughs> well, we we were born with a nice Jewish name, which doesn't work in the Midwest. So, you changed so it. it was changed a couple of times, and I so I had I had I had a legal name change when I was twelve, and then you know my father's name was Ben Bergor B E R G O R, totally made up, uh-huh. totally made up, and um, and and I've had a bunch of names. Stage <laughs> names yeah yeah, <laughs> because when I came to New York you know i i wanted to be I wanted to teach and yeah. and, and, and and do some some consulting, but i didn 't know anybody, so I picked up the trade papers and I got an off Broadway lead part the first day I was here That's amazing i mean I, I was a hell of a singer, yeah, I mean, I did all the performing courses, minored in music and and was still booking out of chicago right. during during school that 's why I had so much money
0: that 's incredible I think I read in 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 the preface to your book or some section in, in your book here that well, you were simultaneously learning or studying chemistry, and then got into art, and you noticed that you were using all these chemicals in chemistry. Yet you had safety gear, and then you noticed in the art studio a lot of the same chemicals and no absent room. safety gear. No, no, was yeah. that the collision where you're like, that wait a minute, there's something here that I need to look at.
1: Absolutely, that was that was the that was the the light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. And so in the in 1962, I did my first seminar. On, on toxic substances in ceramics in particular. Mm-hmm. And they walked out, the professor and the students walked out of my seminar. They said, we don't want to hear this, it'll interfere with our creativity. Now, I figured if I'd found anything that was this obvious and this true and it made people this mad, it was probably a good You're thing. onto something. Yeah. I'm on to something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just never quit. And I just kept learning about this stuff, and I started to write little articles and, you know, talk to people and and in my teaching I would always mention all of this stuff. So that's how the consulting just kind of Evolved, And and when I came to New York, I met some other people who were interested in the same thing, and we set up a corporation to do it, and then I eventually left and set up my own corporation.
0: That's really incredible. Um, Let's pivot back towards materials, because I wanted to talk about uh, kids' art materials and what parents should watch out for. One of the reoccurring things in this project, um, when I speak to artists that are parents, We talk about how becoming a parent has affected their practice, and their ideas, and and the work-life balance thing. Um, And I feel it's only uh, appropriate to talk about um, art supplies and kids, because a lot of us, like we said in the beginning, our kids are coming into our studios. Um, we, we, We use these art materials that we buy at the art supply stores that are marketed towards kids. What are the things that parents should be watching out for with these materials or even working at home?
1: The first thing we do is destroy any intelligence in the children. (laughs) We make sure of that.
0: Oh, you're talking about not even the materials. Um, We're just talking about the thinking. I'm
1: talking about the The, thinking. Because if if we can attack the thinking first, we'll be able to very easily move on to what you're interested in. Sure. For instance, we teach finger painting. Yes. Now, the same parent that probably is trying to avoid food dye red number 40 will let her little child mush her hands into pigments yeah. and dyes. Uh, it, where, is the, where is the brains in that? Right. I mean, and if you've ever taught... You lay out all of these supplies, and you have the stuff out on the tables with all the paint, and the, and the kids come in, and then you tell them what it is you want them to do. And there's always at least two, usually girls, who will say, Ugh, and they're the smart ones. Yeah. And we break down their inhibition and their intelligence and get them to put their hands into this stuff and mush it around. <laughs> now, how dangerous is it? Question. Yeah. Because you know none of those pigments have been studied for chronic, long-term hazards or skin absorption, right. and yet we just want to believe they're safe because under our labeling laws, untested equals non-toxic.
0: Right. Or we just assume that because it's for kids that the manufacturer is taking into consideration safety, can, and they're not going to use bad there's stuff. No d- there's no data. But that's bullshit. They're going to put whatever's no in data. there, right? There's no data. Yeah.
1: And and so uh, I, uh, one teacher in Canada came up with a brilliant solution. She bought these these small the smallest Vinyl gloves that go over the hands, put little rubber bands on them, and when they mushed around, of course their hands were smaller than the gloves, uh-huh. and the patterns that were made were just beautiful. Oh! So she taught safety, and she taught tactile behavior, and she did it all with a safety lesson involved. Now that's and invented mark making, and invented so I mean, we,
0: getting a cool mark with an oversized glove. It sounds yes. like yeah.
1: So we need we need that kind of creativity now, based on the fact that. Putting your hands in the paint is never a good idea. Yeah, it just isn't yeah, yeah, a yeah. good idea. It's, if it's FDA-approved makeup, maybe,
0: right. but that's
1: expensive stuff.
0: Right. What about what about? Um, I, 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 that's right. Makeup's a whole other thing with pigmented. They of have pigments. different tests. And we're putting that directly on our skin. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Um, what about things like washable markers? I mean, this is something that has come through our house, and, you know, young kids, they inevitably draw on themselves. The, oh, y- you can just wash it off with soap, but there's still, probably bad those stuff in that. are still
1: those dyes that yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Now, there are only six chemical dyes that are approved for use in food, and one of them is a low-level carcinogen. Um, so, you know, you, you, even when they're food dyes... Like in, they use food dyes in Play-Doh. Yeah. You still don't want to really just treat them like nothing. Right. Um, so the, the idea that those are going to be safe, are, are, it's, it, there's no there's no real backup for right, that. Right. And, and what you really need to do is to teach kids to actually make art without getting it all over them damn selves because that's a skill right. that they can really use when they become a professional. You have
0: a whole section in your book on personal hygiene, yeah. which is about keeping yourself clean I mean yeah. the whole I'm thinking of the romantic image of the of the painter in the studio covered head to toe in paint all over their hands it's on their face they're smoking a cigarette there's a bottle of booze right there the paints are there I mean, you probably look at that and think like that's pure death in a way, or something like this. <laughs> um, but well, that's that's sort of what we should be trying to correct for, sometimes, right?
1: Sometimes I just have to think, well, evolution is, <laughs> yeah, Darwin natural selection, or, or something, <laughs> right? But yeah, it it doesn't make sense. And and in, when I went to school, also, you weren't a potter unless you could be seen with the clay on you, you know, at a yeah, distance, under your fingernails. Oh, all over, yeah. you know, your, yeah. your hair, your clothes, it was yeah. stiff with it,
0: yeah. Um, you know you mentioned this this teacher in canada I, it just made me think is there a place or a state or an institution that is doing it right that that has solid um responsible laws uh, and and are are taking care of their public by not putting poisons into their materials and stuff. Does anything come to mind? Is there a model out there for us to look at? There isn't. There really isn't. And and it's just a matter of the economics of it all. And
1: and there are certain schools where certain teachers in certain periods of time are doing the right thing. But it is... It's not consistent. It is not a popular thing. Um, uh, Truth just is harder to deal with than fiction. And so you, see, you I will see a school that is really doing it right and mm-hmm. then I will come back five years later, the administration has changed and we got a problem. Right. There was one particular school that remained nameless. Um, the students actually struck yeah and refused to work because the ventilation just was so bad. And so my engineer and I went in, and we did a walkthrough, and we sat down with the trustees and told them what they needed to do. And they said, well, we can't afford it. That You're talking millions. And we just signed off on this building uh, a few years ago. Um, and, and so we have no money. And I said, you have all the money you need. Because I'm telling you right now, and the clock is only starting now, that your architect built a building that could not be used for the purpose for which it was intended. Right. And so they sued the architect, and they got 2.2 million, and they put it into ventilation, and they had the best school, and they would do training every year. And then all of a sudden I didn't get a call. They had a different uh, director. Oh, it was about seven years later, my engineer and I are called back. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they, they've let all the belts go bad. They've right. let the ventilation go. it der- no, didn't keep it up. And so, yeah. so we had to bring it back up, to, and bring the training back up. And then we had for a while. But then it slides back down again. Right. So this is, it is just, safety there. is a daily job. Yeah,
0: it Sounds what you just described sounds like a snake eating its own tail in a way. I yeah. mean, it's just like this continual thing that, you know, gets let go, and then you have to update it. Um, but that's also a good example of student activism actually making a difference. and It does. And, oh, and yeah. getting things uh, uh, I have, built I have properly. Seen
1: some, I've, I've seen some pretty awesome things. There's a, there's a university that puts out a, a very interesting newsletter, one that I don't miss, because they, they, they went on strike also. And they, they, they're starting to get it. Now, what they will graduate hmm and when they are gone, if they are replaced by the you know the beer drinking clay covered yeah 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 <laughs> and it will all go away yeah. but right now they're really activists and they're really making a difference
0: That's great I guess maybe maybe this is a good good section to talk about um, the things that artists and students can do to advocate for um, safer, studio spaces, safer materials. I mean, you just talked about activism. Is there anything else that comes to mind in terms of what we can do on a personal level to try and steer the ship in a a better direction?
1: Well, while the impetus can come from students, especially from injured students, the impetus can't remain there. And for the simple reason that students have another agenda, Right. and that agenda is to get that degree and get the hell out of there. Right, and, and start working. Yeah. And so they just want to get the project finished, and so they become the the enemy very quickly. It really does take everybody working together. It takes first of all an administration that actually understands that they are the ones who are going to get the OSHA citation or the, the you know the the bad publicity yeah. for this lawsuit or whatever, and. They're totally uneducated in safety. Uh, There isn't a single administrator I've ever talked to who has knows shit from Shinola when it comes to the um, occupational safety and health administration regulations, uh, EPA, Mm -hmm. any of it. So that's a big problem in the schools. And there is, in every school, an environmental health and safety department. At least there should be. Uh Those people know, but they've given no power. Right. And they don't have the right even to shut down when they know things should be shut down. Yeah. So th- that structure has to change. Right. And then you have to do and enforce the training. Right. Those teachers got to come into a class every year and get updated on how to read the safety data sheets and what the new regulations are. And, and then what share the in turn share that with the students. And then they yeah. need to share it. In fact, the good schools bring the students in on that training.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that that seems like a a no-brainer in a way.
1: Well, it it, it is if it's the first time, because you should see the way the students kind of look around and realize their teachers don't know either. Yeah, (laughs) everyone's kind of (laughs) in the dark, yeah. So it's better if you start out with a a, a trained faculty and then bring the students in. But however it works needs to be
0: done. Uh, Let's shift back into kind of like personal interest. I'm wondering what the last... um, Great piece of culture that you either saw, read, um, heard, or witnessed. Does anything come to mind, or is is it a blank? No,
1: and I'll tell you why. Okay. You know, I live on the edge of the Soho, and I travel, and so there are always art shows. And I think we've really lost our way. Yeah, I really. You're not impressed really with by do. what you're seeing out there. Now, I will take it. Uh, well, I will say that there are certain areas that are just brilliant. Mm -hmm. There are some ceramics works and some some sculptures that are just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that what pulls you in? Ceramics usually? And there's some jewelry things I've seen and some wearable art that is just stunningly done. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw some paintings that were done by someone who is also a lighting designer. Oh. Whoa, were those That's a cool impressive. collision of things. Yeah, I, mean, yes. I would think that would come in handy, yes, understanding light. Exciting, yeah. exciting work.
0: Do you remember the name? The painter's no. name? No, okay.
1: But but, but here's the thing. Um, we've gotten so that what what works is what makes a big splash. Right and so our aim
0: the immediate reaction yeah, yeah. so yeah.
1: so we're not specializing in art we're specializing in pr mm-hmm. and and in how to attract the attention of people or how to game the market and how to game the market yeah. and 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 so as a result we have totally totally lost our way Yeah. Uh, the fine arts right now are, are are a conundrum and when you see people like i'm going to mention one artist if that's all right that's and that's fine. Kiefer what what the hell, Kiefer? what is the hell are, are people looking at that for <laughs> he is pouring lead Onto a canvas. Uh Do you know the amount of lead fume that comes up when you do that? We did that in the 60s. We got acute lead poisoning. We learned. (laughs) We stopped doing it.
0: Okay, is there a risk the for the viewer? Over? Uh, of course. So going to look at those paintings, you're putting yourself. Well, well, risk.
1: looking at being made because yeah, yeah. remember oh, right, uh, right. They, you, they 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 uh, what was it the the Good Morning America show or something went there and watched and was standing there and snorting the fumes the guys. Pouring and you're just the shaking lead. your head. And I mean. <laughs> Good, you know, they've already got the brain of a box of rocks and now you're adding lead to it. (laughs) Not a good idea. But I mean, that's just dumb. Sure, sure. Uh, To to, to use toxic substances like that and to to do that kind of thing when it's been done, it's nothing special. There's nothing about that that is really worth collecting. So we really need to move on and do something that's
0: real. Sure. I feel like, I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you think, but I feel in the air. There's a return to craft and things being well made in the art world, and artists actually using their hands as opposed to outsourcing everything to some distant place for the thing to be built. So, um, I don't. Do you have you noticed anything like this in yes, your travels, I have. And that like is, a return to craftsmanship?
1: That is a really important thing, and there is some, going to be a place that's going to be a showplace here in New York for seeing really good craftsmanship yeah it's called the powerhouse art project i'm the industrial hygienist on this project and there's good architects the best engineer in the country is working on it and it's going to be wonderful there's going to be rental space there's going to be teaching space and there's going to be professional production spaces so that if you're a sculptor and you have a model they're going to be able to make it and do it right and they're going to they they even have printers that are big enough to paint to to print a backdrop i mean we've got, it's it's going to be so impressive and and the ventilation is going to be right the safety is going to be right there's going to be regular training I mean, New York has always been the place I don't work as a rule because we just pay off the inspectors here. We yeah, yeah, you we grease them. We haven't done anything right in in decades yeah, here. Yeah, But this project is going to be done right. Incredible. And uh, I think you know it's going to be well worth going there and seeing real craftsmanship, really good equipment, properly vented safe and, spaces and, and safe people and people yeah. trained to know how to keep right, them safe. Right.
0: You know, I'd be remiss uh, if we didn't quickly talk about your recent performances. You you have been outperforming and singing, no?
1: Well, yeah. I, I, I always... See, when I when I was working as an industrial hygienist, I was actually working club dates at night and so on. But ah, I never nice. told anybody because... That was your secret identity. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. I was already having trouble getting accepted as a woman in the sciences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For them to come into some gay after-hours club and see me with my knocker shoved up under my chin <laughs> was probably not going to help. <laughs> (laughs) So, yeah, I just kind of kept that quiet. And Uh then I stopped performing when one of my major producers died in in 2001, and I didn't sing a note for years. And then recently I started to sing again. Mm -hmm. And I needed some money for scholarships for the program that I'm endowing at UMass Amherst to teach this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I got... uh, uh, a producer set it up in, to do it at Feinstein's 54 Below. Oh, God, what a great club. I mean, yeah. I've played nothing but upholstered sewers compared to this place. <laughs> and, it, you know, so we did a really good um, uh, a 90-minute show on vaudeville and uh-huh. early show music. And, this was um, a couple of weeks ago, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and we've, we've netted enough. Uh, and with a matching grant, I'm going to be able to provide three scholarships to the course that I'm teaching. And they booked me back. That's they excellent. They want me to, to set up another date.
0: Are there recordings out there? Do you have records? Where can we hear your your they're, music, you're singing?
1: They are working on a video of it. Okay. It was the first performance and there were three cameras running and we'll have to see how that works. Okay. You know, because I'm not going to release it if it it's not really of the right quality, but we'll see. Right. But uh yeah, it was so much fun to work a club date again after all these years. And I mean, we tore it up pretty good. That's great. I bet
0: you that felt really good.
1: It, yeah, I had a cold, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I'm a
0: you, hofer. You 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 uh battled through it. Um you know, we're getting to the end here and there's 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 a really nice line in your book that I identified with and I wanted to just um get you to talk about it a little bit more and it was it was sort of connected to altruism. And you have this line where you talk about at a certain point you realized that you you believed in doing something more than being a great potter or a great teacher for for the arts, um, which led you to I think the work that you're doing now as an industrial hygienist with educating people about how to be safe and how to take care of themselves. Um, can you talk about that that sort of realization and 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 how it's manifested. Because in that ones.
1: actually was a moment yeah. in my life when I suddenly realized that I could become the greatest singer in the world yeah. for 20 minutes. <laughs> and I could become the best potter in the world for 20 minutes. Yeah. And what would that really do in the process of, of life? And how much? how important could that be? And I suddenly realized, no, I've got to do something that is different, that isn't being done. That is special, that is something that I can contribute that others can't. Yes. And so this was the area, Uh, and now I'm trying to train others to do it as well because now that I've got it nailed, (laughs) I I know I can teach others to do this, and that's why I'm endowing the program at UMass Amherst. Mm -hmm. By the way, August 19 through 23, we're teaching for 40 hours at UMass Amherst. Oh, great. Yeah, so if people want to Google... Uh, either that or, or or me. You can you can put sure. my contact information sure. up, and and uh, it's it's forty tough hours, but you you have a pretty good background. Very valuable, I'm sure. Yes,
0: I mean it's it's great because I think a lot of artists, um, by nature, we we are inward looking. We're we're dealing with our own ideas and how to how to get them out um, in an object. Um, but for a lot of us, myself included, I believe in, in outward looking, and this project is part of that. Like doing something beyond making the object in the studio, and it sounds like um, your work as an industrial hygienist is some version of that as well. So, thank you. Yeah, this is lovely, um, Monona, This is uh, you know I really appreciate your generosity and the the inspiring, important, and valuable work that you do. You know, one of the one of the questions that comes up in this project is I asked I ask artists what what, um, what, what is good art hygiene? And, and the, the go-to response is something about taking care of ourselves emotionally. Not a, not a once has someone talked about their physical well-being. So this is a wonderful change of pace and equally as important as emotional health. And um, I think your book is required reading for, for any artist working out there. And um, again, thank you for participating in this project. Yeah,
1: the mind and the body.
0: That's right. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that you can learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. Be sure to share this project within your community and rate and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Directory or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and check back soon for a new episode.